You are listening to Best Life After Cancer, episode number 12. Welcome to Best Life After Cancer. I'm so glad you're here. This is the podcast where cancer survivors and caregivers can get solutions and support to overcome the life challenges brought by their cancer diagnosis. If you are ready to release your fear, regain your joy, and reduce your risk, you're in the right place. I'm your host, Dr. Deborah Butzbach. I have a few things I want to talk to you about today. First of all, did you know that I'm on Instagram? I am. You should follow me for sure. Just go to Best Life After Cancer MD and you're going to be able to find me. You should subscribe because there's good info on there and some good reminders of what you're working on. There's overviews of what I'm teaching, lots of good stuff. So make sure you come over and find me there. Super fun. I was more of a Facebook person, and then my kids said I should get on Instagram so they could follow me. And who wants more than their teenage boys following them voluntarily, right? And then when I ask a question there, go ahead and answer me, okay? I'd love to hear from you guys. That's a great way to get in touch by answering the questions, putting in the comment section. That would be perfect. You may notice that this week is a little bit delayed. For the first time, I had some recording issues and ended up today just deciding to delete the podcast and re-record it. You know I'm all about choosing the best thoughts, and the thought I'm choosing right this minute is that it's amazing that I did 12 podcasts and this is the first time I've had a real issue. It actually dovetails well into a decision I've made. As things are opening up more from COVID, life is getting busier again. My full-time job as a physician does keep me quite busy, and for now, I'm going to go to dropping a podcast every other week. This also gives all you busy folks time to keep up with it. There will still be podcasts and the same great content. It just will be every other week instead of every week. We just got in from Maine today. It was a great week. We did four hikes on different days. I paddleboarded, swam, played cards in Settlers of Catan, and we ate out. That was such a treat. New Jersey has been shut down for a while, but with a group of 13 between my family, my brother's family, and my parents, we were able to book a private room at two places and be on the deck at another place, so I felt good that we were keeping ourselves and our families safe. My husband and I both got COVID tested before we went to make sure we were keeping everyone safe as well as we were both practicing medicine in New Jersey. Last night, we left at 3 a.m. to drive home. My husband and kids got a few hours sleep while I finished packing. I laid down for a bit and then we got up and everyone loaded up and we set off. Two adults, four kids, two dogs, three coolers, six bags, all in one Suburban for eight plus hours. I was so grateful that my husband did the driving. I slept a bit and brainstormed a bit. Now I am home, we are unpacked, and I sat down to write about what I'd been thinking about on the way home. It was nice. The kids slept for a lot of the drive, so I had some quiet time to really reflect on where my thoughts were. This week in Maine was wonderful, but a bit bittersweet. My family has gone to the same place in Maine since I was a tiny baby, and now we always meet up with my parents and my brother. It used to be my other brother as well, but sadly, we lost him in his 30s to a heart attack. Every year, we grieve a bit, missing him more in this time we were always together. But this year, something new is going on in addition to that. My dad, who has been a huge source of support and love in my life, has developed Alzheimer's and is starting to show some changes. His mom died from it too, so my thought is that we all unfortunately know what to expect. 
The last few days we were there, I was really grieving the thought that next year things might be different. He might be more forgetful, might not be able to remember me or the kids. I was really down. I thought about it a lot on the way home and was seeing the parallels between this and some of my patients with a strong family history of cancer, especially if they have a cancer themselves. I'm sure you can relate. I grieve to watch my dad slip away from us, and I also have so much fear that at some point the disease will take what I think to be my most valuable asset, my mind. I really lost a lot of that last day. I was tearful and avoided my dad because I didn't want him to see me upset. I spent time dwelling on what might be, for him and for me. Then on the ride home, I had a chat with myself. Because I am doing what I always do, which is worrying about things in the future that may never come. It is interesting, if you really start to be aware of your mind, you will see that whatever you struggle with comes up in so many places. For me, it is scarcity of time with my loved ones. Not on a daily basis, but over a lifetime. I have fears of loss of one of my kids, or my husband, or losing myself to Alzheimer's. I feel like there isn't enough time to have all the experiences I want to have with my family. Like the days and weeks and months pass too quickly. Sometimes it shows up with me dreading them getting bigger and getting closer to when they will leave for college. Sometimes it shows up worrying about losing my parents. Sometimes it shows up as me worrying about losing myself. It is good to know because the more I recognize it, the more I can work on it in all places it shows up. For some people, what they struggle with may be fear, scarcity over money, or lack of self-worth. But like so many of my cancer clients, I find that I am living in the worst-case scenario and allowing thoughts of scarcity to drive my feelings. That is the scenario where next summer my dad can't remember us, and then far too soon I begin having memory problems as well. I imagine seeing him and him not remembering me, and it makes me so sad. I think about how it would feel for my kids to be in that same situation with me. I catastrophize and live in that future today. I feel all of the sadness and grief of that possible future when it is not even present. My brain thinks it is doing me a favor by preparing me, so that will be easier then. That is not true. It doesn't make it easier then. It just means that I live with it now. Or maybe it will make it easier, but only because I will have found ways to completely suppress it in the intervening years. And I lose today, a perfect day on the lake with my family. Thankfully, my brother, in an offhand remark, reminded me that my dad's dad had died of a heart attack at 65. My dad, for years, had thought he would die in his 60s of cardiac disease. Well, now he is approaching 80, has had a benign brain tumor treated with radiation, an aggressive lymphoma treated with chemotherapy, and now has Alzheimer's. How much time did he spend worrying about heart disease in his 60s? How much time am I spending worrying about Alzheimer's in my 40s? When he got lymphoma 10 years ago, before he started chemotherapy, how would I have felt about a guarantee that he would be here in 10 years and dying of something else? I bet I would have taken that guarantee in a hot second. Thankfully, I managed to have an attitude adjustment before we went out for our last family dinner. I sat by my dad, held his hand, and was present in the moment. I noticed he ordered the French onion soup, which is something I remember him loving my whole life. I chuckled when he said multiple times that the plate of ribs was too big, but then proceeded to eat every single one. I marveled a bit at him saying they were the best ribs he had ever eaten. I allowed myself to wonder whether they really were, 
or whether his forgetfulness let him experience every plate of ribs as if they were the best ever. I asked if he would start to make some videos for me, telling me about some of his favorite memories of me. It was a start towards getting out of my funk and into a place of gratitude for now. So today, that is what we are going to talk about, a three-prong approach to heritable family conditions, how to live in abundance now, how to deal with the guilt that comes with heritable conditions, and how to prepare for the worst in a way that actually makes things easier then. I think this applies for families with heritable cancer genes, neurologic conditions, and much more. We see our older family members get sick, and we assume the worst for them and for ourselves. But we don't have a crystal ball for any of us. There is no guarantee that we will have a bad outcome from what is in our genes. Even if the odds are 50-50, which is close to the risk of getting a breast cancer if you have a BRCA1 or 2 gene, this means that 50% of people will not have the bad outcome. We spend our lives preparing for the worst, even if the worst is not a guarantee. This is something so many people struggle with. The antidote to this is living in the moment. Let me repeat that in case you zoned out for a minute. The answer to living in fear of the future is shifting your focus to the current moment. What is fine now? What is perfect now? What do you not want to miss in the moment? If you focus on now, you can see that it really is okay today. We don't know yet about tomorrow. I will tell you one of the things I remind myself when I catch myself catastrophizing about Alzheimer's. Medical advances are coming fast and furious. What was the stuff of science fiction 30 years ago is reality today. 30 years ago, we had no super-focused and image-guided radiation, no targeted molecules that attacked things on cancer cells, very little in the way of reducing nausea and blood count issues. In 20 years, we may be able to actually alter our genes at a cellular level, whether it be the ones that lead to cancer or ones that lead to Alzheimer's. Even if you have a family history and did develop cancer, if you have made it through treatment and are currently cancer-free, living in the worst-case scenario is not helpful. Why worry for 20 years when we are not sure the bad thing will even come to us? There is plenty of time to worry when the bad thing is here. Worrying doesn't prevent it. This is something I get coaching on myself frequently, and one of the places I think it is most helpful for cancer survivors. It's such a beautiful thing to imagine a time when you aren't constantly worrying that you may fail and die of your cancer, where you can just be present and enjoying your life. It's so helpful for me to see where my thoughts are not serving me, not giving me the best outcomes. A quote I love about this, I'm not sure who wrote it. Life becomes more meaningful if we realize we only get each moment once. What this means is if you use it up and worry, you don't get it back. You don't get a redo. There aren't more cancer-free minutes put in the bank as a payment for worrying you are doing. What I realized that day, not as quick as I would have liked, but as quick as I was able, is I don't want to give up a whole day of my moments with my dad fretting about next summer. When you find yourself lost in future what-if worries, bring yourself back to now. Remind yourself what is perfect now. What I know now is that my dad is 80 and his days are numbered. Now is the time to hold his hand at dinner and tell him how great he is and how much I love him. Keep remembering that worrying is not giving you a better now. The second thing we need to talk about with familial syndromes is the grief and guilt people feel if they passed on a gene that comes with a heritable risk. Guilt is what we call an indulgent emotion in this scenario. It keeps you stuck in the feeling because it is not something you can usually solve. If you have no power to change something, for instance, you can't go back in time and choose a different fertilized egg, which if you did, by the way, would mean the child you have would cease to exist. 
that indulging in guilt is pointless. It does not fix the problem. It does not lead to better relationships. Often, it also does not lead to problem solving. It is one of the reasons sometimes that people who are at very high risk of a cancer mutation do not get tested. In their fear, they think they would rather worry forever about possibly having a mutation than knowing for certain that they do. What this means is that they live in worry whether they do or don't have a mutation over getting tested and dealing with the knowledge, either that they do have a mutation and could pass it, or that they do not and therefore cannot have passed it. One of the things I think maybe people don't really understand is that even if they have a gene, we all carry two copies of every gene, one from our mother and one from our father. This means that if even one of your copies is defective, likely the other is not. This means you only have a 50% chance of passing the gene on to each of your children. I try to counsel about this. There may be guilt from knowing you passed a mutated gene to your children, but for your children, there could also be freedom of knowing that you had it but did not pass it on. Even if you have it and did pass it on, there is power in this knowledge. For instance, insurances cover MRI screening for all patients with BRCA mutations. MRI is a very sensitive tool for picking up breast cancers. It often finds things sooner than mammograms do. It comes at the expense of more frequent biopsies, but for patients with very high risk of breast cancer, this earlier detection can be a great benefit. In BRCA-positive patients, removing the ovaries can significantly reduce the risk of ovarian cancer. Some patients armed with the knowledge that they have a BRCA gene opt for bilateral mastectomies, significantly reducing their lifetime risk of breast cancer. Other testing for colorectal genes can lead to more frequent screening, like colonoscopies or endoscopies, increasing the odds of catching a tumor earlier. But even if patients who are positive do none of these things, it may just be that they bring a new change or a lump to a doctor's attention sooner. Guilt is something that becoming aware of it and seeing it for what it is may help us to find the thought that is creating the guilt, which is something we do have the power to change. If your thought is that your child deserves a parent that didn't give them a cancer gene, that is not a true thought. If it wasn't your genes, they would not be the person they are. With time and help, you can unravel the thoughts that are causing the guilt and often find better thoughts that are more useful. Finally, I want to share something that can control how the future affects our families. I have done this for my kids and I'm encouraging my dad to do it for me. This is something that I think makes all of the future uncertainty a little easier to bear. I see many people who end up getting sick quicker than they expect and not having the time they thought they would at the end of their life to do things for their families. When they looked and felt well, they did not do things to leave their children and families with a legacy. I'm not talking about a financial legacy. I'm talking about an emotional one, something for those left behind to hold on to, something to remind them of how much they were loved, something they can read or watch or hold on to or wear. This does feel really uncomfortable. The time to sit down and write letters is not when you are sick and struggling. The time to film a video for your grandchild is not when you are on hospice and looking like death warmed over. It is not when you have forgotten all your stories. It is when you are well. My job reminds me on a daily basis that life sometimes takes unexpected turns. And my personal life, losing my brother at 33 with an MI, certainly reinforced that. I know for certain my brother would have wanted to leave something in writing for his son, especially since he was divorced, and his ex limited our time with his son even before he had passed away. I have, over the years, written letters to my kids, 
There are ones for them to open when they graduate high school, college, graduate school, when they buy their first house, and when they have their first child. I want them to know, even years down the road, that I had thought about the moment and what it would be like for us to be there together, what I would tell them, what advice I would give. And then, as each event comes upon us, and I am here and well, I open the letter, read it, and feel the blessing that I am here to read it, instead of them reading it. Maybe you aren't a writer. You could do some videos on your phone and store them on your laptop. You could make a quilt for them to wrap around themselves like a hug from you, or knit them a blanket. Paint a picture. Make a photo album with your favorite memories. This is what I have asked my dad to do now with making some videos for us. I hope he will. I hope my kids don't need the letters for many years to come. It certainly sucked writing them. Each and every one made me cry. But I love to think that they will have one the night before they marry when they are feeling especially down. I realized in Maine I wanted other family members to have one as well. Probably not one for all different events in their lives, but at least one for me to tell them how much I loved them and how much they meant to me. This whole topic may seem strange in a month where I'm focusing on creating joy, but the bottom line is this. We lose joy by focusing on some possible awful future. We open the door to joy by staying in the moment and experiencing the joy that is there that we might otherwise miss. I think Tim Cook says it so well when he says, let your joy be in the journey, not in some distant goal. We prevent joy in the journey. Also, when we indulge in guilt, let go of what you do not have the power to change. From Brene Brown, when we argue against reality, we lose 100% of the time. Finally, create something for that worst case scenario future. That is what you can do, what you can control of the future. Then let it go too. We can't control the future any more than we can control the sun rising and setting. This is one of my greatest struggles, but I realize it is also a source of the greatest strides I can make in increasing my happiness. If this is something you struggle with, coaching can help. Even if it's not with me, think about it. Create a life for yourself where you live in the present and don't worry about what might happen in the future. If you are interested, I'm happy to do a free mini session to talk with you about it. I am opening up my first coaching group in October. I'd love to work with you either individually or as part of a group to help work through these tough emotions. All right, my friends, that's it for this week. Have a wonderful, wonderful week. Have a great day. Live in the moment and enjoy your time. I'll talk with you soon. Take care. Bye-bye. Thanks for listening to Best Life After Cancer. Did you know you can get more information on my website, bestlifeaftercancer.com? There is also a Facebook page, Best Life After Cancer MD, where there is a group just for survivors. Here you are able to interact with me, ask questions, and get more help. I'd love to see you there. Have a great week, and I'll speak with you soon.